I used to check my bank account, check my Etsy shop, now, you know, check my website multiple times a day. And it's, it's so not about that, right? And then I think eventually down the road, you learn to let that go. And now it's more of like, okay, year over year, month over month, how are we comparing and make a new plan to see how we can move it in a different direction. Pricing your products or services can feel like a game of pin the tail on the moving donkey you know is going to kick you if you get it wrong. There are so many factors to take into account. The price you choose needs to consider the market, your cost of goods sold, the positioning of your brand, the value of what you're offering, and the cost of doing business. Each of these pricing factors have their own challenges and potential pitfalls. And just because you figure out the equation once doesn't mean you've solved it for all time. The factors that influence price change over time. I'm Tara McMullen, and you're listening to What Works, the show that digs deep into what's really working to run and grow a small business today, from how we market and manage to how we prime our mindset for success. Now, over time, the market changes, your cost of goods change, your brand positioning might change, the value of what you're offering can change, and almost without a doubt, the cost of doing business will change. And that all means that what you price your products or services at in the beginning will likely need to adapt to future circumstances. But what if you could start to anticipate those changes? Could you build future changes into your pricing strategy? Yes, I absolutely believe that you can. As you grow as a business owner, you can start to anticipate market changes and plan for the way your cost of goods increase. You can set a goal to position your brand in a certain way, and you can become smarter about your target market so you understand the value of what you're offering more fully. And perhaps most importantly, you can plan for the ways your cost of doing business will evolve too. You can anticipate the team members you'll hire. You can plan for the software upgrades you'll need. You can build in margin to cover unforeseen circumstances or changes in the market that impact your bottom line. Now, very, very few business owners do this from the start, but over time, you can get better and better at your pricing strategy and even your overall financial strategy so that you're planning for the future instead of reacting to it. And that's exactly what I'm talking about with today's guest, Tiffany Whips. Tiffany is the founder and designer behind Fire and Mineral. Tiffany has been designing jewelry full-time since 2012, and she'd be the first to admit that her pricing strategy has become a lot more sophisticated since she put together her first line sheet on a whim. Now, I originally invited Tiffany onto the show to showcase how money flows differently through product-based businesses, and we absolutely talk about that. But we also talk about how Tiffany's approach to money has grown more sophisticated over time, as well as how she's now pricing for the business she wants to have instead of the business she has right now. Tiffany and I talk about how her pricing strategy has evolved over the years, why she's focused on products that have more long-term value as opposed to what's trending right now, and how she's using her goals to set prices for her new work. Now, let's find out what works for Tiffany Whips. Tiffany Whips, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. All right. Well, I want to kick things off um, with a story. And so I would love to hear the story of the very first dollar that you earned as a jewelry designer. I have to dig so deep here. (laughs) (laughs) And that's because I never intended to have jewelry as a business. So my first dollar came from 
a boutique. And how I even met this woman, um, she was a friend of a friend. I went in to check out her place. I was living in Bend and she had just opened a shop. I walked in. She had this great mission of supporting children um, with the funds that she earned from the shop. And I was wearing a necklace and she complimented me. And I was like, oh, thank you. I made that. I just started making jewelry. It was such a hobby thing for me to be doing. And she's like, oh my gosh, do you have a line sheet? And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> I, oh looked at her. I looked at her. I'm like, I don't know what that means. And she's like, well, where do you sell your work? And I'm like, I don't. And she goes, Oh, well, can you, you know, <laughs> and it was so random. It was, it was a super tedious piece of jewelry to make. It was a random request. I'm like, I don't even know if I could make money off of this thing. <laughs> this is a passion project. And I said, yes, instead. And, um, I went to the bead store and I figured it out and I created a collection and I brought it to her and she sold and we kept selling and I would do trunk shows and I'm like, okay, well, that's, this is interesting. Um, but I still hadn't thought of it as a business until probably about a year later um, when I found Etsy. Ah, okay. So um, first off, just really fast uh, for people who don't know, what is a line sheet? So it is a list of your work with SKUs and wholesale prices and retail prices. All right. Perfect. Thank you. <laughs> Many years ago, I would also have not known what a line sheet yeah. is. And so for all the service providers and digital products providers out there, yeah. we'll just, we'll, we'll demystify some of these product <laughs> terms. And then the product people will be like, yes, line sheets. Let's talk about that. Okay. Um, okay so uh, I'm curious how you winded up or wound up uh, pricing that first set of work that you created for her. Can Do you remember kind of what went through your head when you were coming up with prices? I think I just picked numbers out of the air, <laughs> literally. Like, And I'm sure I was charging way, way, way too low. Um, you know, I would kind of look at, okay, this strand of whatever and this metal cost me X, Y, Z. I figured out product cost at least, but but yeah, I just really, I was like, oh, she's going to sell this. And I never took into account, um, you know, even if you had taken into account, okay, she's going to sell this at twice the price that I sell it to mm -hmm. her. You're never taking into account, oh, I might have to pay taxes on that later on down the road. Oh, I might need to profit off of that piece later on down the road. How do I pay myself? Um, so yeah, none of that was even on the table back then. I was just like, here you go. $40. <laughs> Amazing. Okay. So from a completely random incident that got you started with wholesaling jewelry to ending up on Etsy, you have been, you have gone through a lot of different transitions in your business. We were talking about this uh, briefly before we hit the record button. So I'm curious how your relationship to money has evolved, has changed as your business has evolved and changed. Can you kind of walk us through, I guess, the a little bit of the history of your business and sort of some of the shifts in how you thought about money that went along with those changes? Yeah, absolutely. So in the beginning, I was, I was employed full time. I was in restaurant management. And I actually just thought that was always going to be my career. Mm. And so, so a hobby business side income went to buy materials and, 
and whatever I made off those sort of just went back into buying more materials. Um, and then things started getting really serious for me. Uh, how I found Etsy was a girlfriend was getting married and we bought the bridesmaids dresses on there. So this is back mm. in 2010, Etsy was pretty spanking new back then, maybe a couple of years old. Um, and I was like, oh, these people are selling handmade items on this site. This is crazy. <laughs> um, and so I started an Etsy shop and I took random photos of all. I did everything wrong and I threw some stuff up on the website. And um, it took about maybe a year for anything to even sell. Mm. And so, you know, I sell a pair of earrings here or there. So it's still very basic. So this is about the first year of me just making jewelry. It's mostly coming from the boutique, mostly a side hustle, mostly my extra income in there. Um, after about that first year, I started noticing a feather trend. Mm. And, <laughs> and I tie flies and these were things in my fly tying kit and these girls were putting feathers on everything and I was just seeing them everywhere and I'm like, oh, I could totally turn that into jewelry. <laughs> and I made these really cool spiked feather hoops and I did some other more hippie feather stuff, but I sort of did a new spin on the feather trend. And I had no concept how that was going to explode. I, to this day, call that period of my business feather money. I was bringing in, <laughs> I was seriously bringing in, I'll never, I don't know if I will ever see something like this again, that crazy in a trend, nor would I want to. But I mean, I was bringing in $10,000, $20,000 a month from feathers. That's and insane. it was insane. <laughs> and these feathers were getting bought up by everyone. And telling this in hindsight, I feel guilty now, but I mean, stuff I used to tie flies with for $15 was selling on eBay for $800, $900, and they couldn't keep up with supply and demand. I would could literally price out a feather for $5 to $10 for one feather. And um, all this money is coming in, and it's crazy. And I'm just barely a jewelry maker and barely even considering the beginning of being a business. And I explode. <laughs> And back then, Etsy was on a recency. Um, mm -hmm. When you recently listed, they would just put you on the front page. Right. And so I, I was on the front page constantly. I was getting featured by them constantly because my, my shop was making so much money. And I was selling. And so it was just boom, 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 boom. To the point where I actually started having anxiety. <laughs> over the business because um, I didn't know how to handle it all. And so that's when I started getting really serious. I'm like, I need to figure this out. I've just hit on something. I know I can't hit on it forever, mm -hmm. um, but there's something here and I'm learning something from it and I need to figure out how to manage and harness it. So that's when I started maybe looking at the money piece a little more seriously. Mm -hmm. At that time, I was making so much money, I quit my restaurant job. And so I would say, you know, 2012 was when I really started doing this business full time. Um, so then, of course, that trend stops, you know, or, or winds down significantly. I just kind of wanted to transition, but I was on this high and I'm like, what's the next thing I can do that can mm -hmm. keep this level, but, but not 
not be so um so fast you know more more timeless yeah and i i started making sort of my next iteration of what i would say my business which is just very classic delicate minimalist jewelry it was well made it could be worn with everything it was layerable it was timeless people were really getting into hoops people are still very into hoops i mean i i can sell hoops all day long but it was sustainable it it stayed at a more manageable level um income wise you know I, purchasing gold is very different than trying to purchase these high end feathers over here um and so i finally kind of got a harness on okay how do you price for profit how do you pay yourself um you know how do you balance material costs how do you grow the business and so i had a little bit of a chance there to start playing more with the business side of actually becoming a business so fascinating <laughs> let's pause that. okay i know there's yeah. more to the story right. I had actually completely, that was a lot <laughs> no no that was amazing i had completely forgotten about the feather thing i think that's probably yeah. when i first met you was in the midst of feather money you know it was and so when i started making feather money that's when you launched your website kickstart program oh yeah and i i took your website i'm like oh i need a website <laughs> So that's how I found you. I took your website kickstart program and that was in the middle of feather money. <laughs> well, that was in the middle of website kickstart money for me. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Um, okay. So I, I'm really, really curious about this shift away from, or the transition between maybe it's a better way to put it, the feather money, the like explosion around what was always going to be a trend that came and then went. And then getting into, as you said, a more sustainable, more business-focused phase of the business. Was there did did your revenue contract during that transition and you figured out how to kind of sustain on something that was more manageable and, and consistent? Or did, were you able to keep uh, maintain the level of revenue that you had with Feather Money, but with something that was going to be more consistent? It, it constricted. And then I found a much more manageable level. Um, okay. I have since been able to grow the business into closer to that in certain mm -hmm. months. But definitely... I think hitting on a trend like that, it's not that you can't do that every month in your business, but that's, it's a different world. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, what's the difference in profitability from, and you don't have to, I mean, if you want to give us number numbers, that's fine. But what's, um, were you often sacrificing profitability just to keep the sales coming in during the feather period or or uh, do you have sort of like a more consistent profit margin between then and now? So that's an awesome question because I think what I wasn't doing with the feathers is really tracking what was going out and what was coming in. Mm. Um, you know, so it felt like these huge amounts of waves of money coming in, but I was also spending and betting. I mean, basically betting huge amounts of money on this yeah. thing that only had a tangible amount tied to it because of its popularity in the moment. 
So, um, so definitely my business model now, first of all, gold has value no matter what. Gold will mm-hmm. always maintain value. Silver will always maintain value. It'll fluctuate, but it's not like a feather where it has perceived value. Um, and my profit margin is higher in my business now than if I were to just off the top of my head calculate that feather money was for sure. Gotcha. I think that's such a common pitfall that people run into when money is coming very easily into a business. And I'm speaking absolutely from personal experience when it feels like the money's like, it's just easy. It's just easy to make the money. Good money's coming in. You don't worry as much about profit margin. You're not thinking about it as much because it just like you're just always able to kind of bet on the future, like you like you said. Um, and so being mindful about that shift into a business that actually works as a as opposed to a business that's a bet is really it's just fascinating. and I'm sure that a lot of people can relate to it, um, maybe even especially right now. So, okay, so let's keep going with the story then. Um, you started moving into the the gold and silver jewelry, as you said, the more kind of delicate, classic, uh, minimalist jewelry. Where did things go from there? So it, it started, I started building that. I started building the collection. It gained traction and momentum. It made money, um, enough money to sustain me well. And so I was feeling comfortable and confident. And I definitely thought the next step for me, for whatever reason, was opening a brick and mortar. So there is something about me as a creative and my business that never felt like it was about me. I always Mm. wanted to bring this larger picture thing into it. And so I'm like, well, you know what? I figured out how to make it as an artist and a designer from, from this crazy point in working in a restaurant to making good viable money by myself. And I want to help other people do the same thing. And so the way I decided to help other people do the same thing was I was going to open this boutique and I was going to feature amazing artists and I was going to try to showcase how you could use every day, how you, how you could purchase things you would use every day from an artist or a maker or a sustainable business. And um, I wanted to put that online because that's where I've primarily sold and I wanted to help other artists sell online. And, and I just thought I would grow that into a bigger thing. And then that wasn't quite right. Um, mm-hmm. I got into this space. I got in the brick and mortar. Like, oh, I'm in this box all day. I think I had visions of staff and employee, you know, <laughs> um, and and I did it more intuitively and instinctually instead of coming into this with a real concrete plan. And I was able to build the whole thing with very minimal um, outside sources off of my own income from my online sales. My online sales were sustaining the brick and mortar. Mm-hmm. Um, and the brick and mortar was maybe paying for itself some months. And I'm like... Oh, (laughs) this is really hard. Um, I'm in this box all day. I have all this inventory around me that I just paid for that I have to sell. I, I'm not really, I'm online, but I'm not selling my own product online. This is a little harder than I thought it was going to be. And we had had a major, major snowstorm the Mm -hmm. month I opened 
I oh, mean, God. just a closed town for, I live in a small town that the freeway will get closed. I'm at closed town for four months. And then we had the gorge fire that summer. Oh, right. And I, I, you know, we're a tourist town. We rely on those things. We have a very small population. So I was just like, oh, I'm out. <laughs> I, I don't want to do this. I'm out. And I just went back to my online business model. It was sort of this little blip. I checked the box. I tried it out. I'm like, okay, this isn't the path I want to go. Got it. Um, wow. That is... <laughs> okay. So uh, I don't even know where to go from there. You'll find out how Tiffany is reapproaching her business in the wake of the great pause in just a minute. But first, a word from our What Works partners. What Works is brought to you by Mighty Networks. In the old days, my business saw huge spikes and big dips in revenue from month to month. If I was launching a program, my revenue numbers would be way up. And after I was done launching, my expenses would spike as I paid out the costs of launching. In between, I'd carefully balance the revenue from the program to cover the business's recurring costs each month and pay myself. And I was not great at this. But a few years ago, I ditched the launch model and started building a business model that was based on predictable recurring revenue. With predictable recurring revenue each month, I knew how to invest in our team, our growth, ongoing education, and causes we support. How do we make the switch from the launch model to recurring revenue? Well, we switched to Mighty Networks. The What Works Network is a paid subscription network hosted on the Mighty Networks platform. Mighty Networks has made it easy for us to provide ongoing value, events, conversations, and connections for our members, which makes it possible for them to invest in the community month after month. With a Mighty Network, you can also create predictable recurring revenue for your small business. Support your clients, bring your audience together, share your knowledge, and lead your community, all for a simple monthly or annual fee and build a stable base for your business's revenue. Plus, you can also sell online courses and add to your bottom line. To find out just how a Mighty Network could transform your business, go to MightyNetworks.com. That's MightyNetworks.com. What Works is also brought to you by Yellow House Media. Now look, I'm passionate about podcasting. I love hearing from experts, storytellers, comedians, politicians, journalists, and everyday folks who share the vulnerable details of their lives and work. I also love everything that podcasting has done for me. It's expanded my network, introduced my work to new audiences, helped me close sales and explore new perspectives in my industry. Podcasting is an incredibly powerful medium. And that's why last summer, my husband, Sean, and I started Yellow House Media. We're on a mission to help people use their voices in new ways. And we do that by combining over a decade of content and marketing strategy experience with deep knowledge of audio. At Yellow House Media, we help small business owners create exceptional in-depth content that also drives their business goals. And we call that Standout Podcast Strategy. On July 9th at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 p.m. Pacific, I'm hosting a free live workshop on crafting your standout podcast strategy. Whether you've been podcasting for a while and you're looking to level up and leverage your show to grow your business, or you've been thinking about starting a podcast and you want to get started with a solid plan, this workshop is for you. Here's what we're going to cover. 
the four key parts to a standout podcast strategy and how to leverage them to grow your business, how the premise of your podcast can enhance the positioning of your brand, why intentionally crafting your relationship to listeners can help you close sales with the right people, how to choose content that makes buying from your business the logical next step, and why your call to action should be to buy more often than not. To join me, go to yellowhouse.media and click free workshop in the navigation. That's yellowhouse dot media and then click free workshop. That's such a big, big transition again in your story. But I also know you're in the midst of another transition now. Can we talk about that before we kind of circle back and get more into the money piece again? Yeah, absolutely. So, so during I call this the great pause of 2020. That's that's what I've been referring. Um, so during that, I I created all this space over the last six weeks, and I really sat with myself. What do I want? This is the first time I've ever been able to sit with what I've wanted to create and put out into the world, instead mm-hmm. of sort of surviving and throwing spaghetti at a wall. And so I've been spending the last six weeks, again, with a pretty large transformation and shift in my business. When I first started making jewelry, it was a lot about working with stones. It was my love of nature. It was energy work um, and sort of practices and principles that I had put into my own life why I had started making jewelry. Um, Part of that was I was in a really depressed spot. I um, was having severe anxiety, and that was my outlet. Um, And I've never had a way to tie that together, nor have I wanted to, but I was feeling really called um, in the space where we kind of got quiet and got to sit with ourselves to share some of that experience in jewelry, to Mm -hmm. spread love and good energy through jewelry, to you know, pass around those affirmations that I use myself every day to make somebody else feel good when they open the box of jewelry to um, meditation and self-care kits where I can collaborate with other artists and makers and we can put together boxes and kits to send out into the world. So it's really tying together all of those little transitional pieces into this one nice package that that feels aligned with my life's work. But I think I had to go through all those different stages in my life and business to get to this one. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a pretty common story. Pretty yeah. common story. Yes, but but an awesome story nonetheless. So as you're approaching this this transition that you're really in the midst of right now, yeah. what money lessons are you bringing with you into this next phase of your business? How are you approaching the financial piece differently? I'm putting it together so much more succinctly. You know, I'm looking, I'm, I pretty much have completely shifted everything in my website and my products and my offerings. So literally from the ground up, and this is what I wish I would have known when I started. So I'm taking every item that I'm putting on the website. It goes into a spreadsheet, material cost, time that it takes to make. It gets a skew because I want to set myself up in the future to maybe not do all my shipping myself um, and to maybe outsource some of that. So that is actually factored into the pricing of that material or that product as well. So what if I have an employee in the future? 
I am currently, um, I'm currently an online business model only, but maybe I want wholesale accounts in the future. How do I price for that? And how do I price to make profit so I can grow this business? I am, I mean, I have aspirations of being a multi-million dollar business. So how, how do I think like that right now? I love that. I love that. Um, okay. Well, that kind of leads me naturally into the next question, which is that I think by necessity, physical product creators, designers have to have a more tangible, a more real uh, relationship with the money that goes out of their business than service providers and digital products creators do. I mean, I, I think we need also to have that kind of relationship. <laughs> but I think you, because you are b- literally buying the materials that you need to create the things that then are selling and bringing money in, I think that the yeah, the tangibleness of that that piece of the finances is it's just it's just really real in a way that it isn't so much um, for an completely online business or a service provider. So what are the things right now uh, that you are putting your focus on in terms of spending money to make money? So in my world, bulk materials help save you money. So if I can create a product line where I use, and it also creates cohesiveness in this way, where I use a certain type of metal, a certain type of chain, a certain stone, and I can buy that in bulk, I, you know, I lower my price point that way. And so, so focusing sort of in those modalities, I mean, investing in those pieces that, you know, you can use over and over and over for multiple designs and cut your cost at the same time. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's a great example. You mentioned, um, you know, like thinking through hiring someone in the future who might be able to do your shipping for you. Are there other sort of hidden costs, uh, things that maybe our listeners wouldn't expect necessarily that you are factoring into your pricing today? Sure. So beyond maybe a physical employee, I would love to have a virtual assistant. Um, Mm. I think what maybe maybe people don't realize about product-based businesses is I probably spend, especially an online product-based business, I probably spend 75% of my time online or working on my business in a modality that is not creating anything. Mm -hmm. Um, And to pass those tasks off would hugely free me up to design new work and use my talents and strengths in a way that would move the business forward better than some of the menial tasks that I probably don't need to be performing myself and somebody could do faster and better. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Okay, so you've you've mentioned maybe one or two of these already, but I'm going to ask the question anyhow and see what else <laughs> comes up for you. <laughs> but what lessons have you learned about money, about your relationship to money in the course of running your business and growing your business over the years that you wish you knew when you got started? Not to focus so much on the individual day-to-day or mm. one-off sales. You know, I used to be, I used to check my bank account, check my Etsy shop. Now, you know, check my website multiple times a day. How much am I selling right now? How much am I selling right now? <laughs> and it's, it's so not about that, right? And then I think eventually down the road, you learn to let that go. And now it's more of like, okay, year over year, month over month. How are we comparing? It's the first of the month. Let's sit and analyze how that did 
you know, the last month or the last quarter and make a new plan to see how we can move it in a different direction. Um, yeah. So I think, I think that's a big mindset shift that mm-hmm. puts you in a better state of abundance than trying to micromanage and focus on the little wins. Yeah. Well, it seems like a, a, a good way to also just feel more consistent, <laughs> like yeah. to, not, yeah. <laughs> to not go through those crazy cycles of ups and downs, just willy nilly, depending on what sells on yeah. any given day, but to instead focus on things that help you feel even keel too. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. Um, Okay, so you mentioned that. So I know you've done wholesale in the past. You've been a wholesaler, um, or for a brief stint, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and then you mentioned that you're not doing wholesale, or you're not planning for whole. Well, you're planning for it, maybe, but not necessarily doing that with the new brand and the new positioning and the new products yet. What? How, how has wholesaling in general kind of impacted your relationship to money or the finances in your business? There are a lot of businesses that can run on a wholesale only business model and are extremely successful. I have found, um, and if you're pricing appropriately, you are doing the right things to get in the right position to do this. And I just have found that I seem to make more money or put better energy if I'm selling my own products online. Mm. Um, I seem to move product faster. I, I can be pretty consistent with my income that way. Um, and I'm not kind of waiting for somebody to sell my product for me or reach out or get back to me or need a restock. Um, so it just feels natural and right to me. I, it's my choice. Not that it doesn't work wonderful for other people. Yeah. Yeah. I was just curious. Um, (laughs) all right. One question that I'm asking everyone, uh, this month, as we start to wrap up here is, um, whether there's anywhere in your business where, you know, you're leaving money on the table and why you've chosen to leave that money on the table. So, I mean, I would kind of say wholesale is maybe one of them. We did just kind of go into that. Um, I do not care to do a lot of street fairs, large events, um, big trunk shows. And I know, I also know people can make an entire circuit doing those, those ones as well. Um, but mostly it's because it's kind of being true to me as to what I like to do or enjoy doing and enjoy selling as a designer, and I feel really uncomfortable just being behind a booth or face-to-face selling my work. I can be really intimate in that area teaching um, because it's not focused on me. But yeah, it's just a personal experience that I feel better. And I feel like I can get myself across better online. Excellent. Tiffany, what are you excited about right now? (laughs) I'm really excited about Fire and Mineral. Um, So that's the new brand I'm creating I literally pinch myself and wake for joy every single day that I feel like I am on the right path and creating my life's work. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that. Um, And I've seen other people get to that point and I love to see it when they have that. And now I have it. I'm like, oh my goodness. So so yeah, I'm excited for the direction it's going. Um, I hope everybody who listens just goes and checks it out because I don't want to get too into it right now. Um, I'm still in the process of creating. So hopefully by the time you're listening to this, it's going to be full speed up and running and ready to go. So 
Beautiful. Well, we will make sure that everyone goes and checks it out and we'll make sure they know where to go check it out. But uh, <laughs> Tiffany, thank you so much for sharing your your money journey with us and really the whole journey of your business and how that has impacted your relationship to money. Yeah, thank you. Find out more about Tiffany Whips and Fire and Mineral Jewelry at firemineral.com. Now, the next time you're taking a look at your pricing strategy or thinking about what to charge for a new product or service, consider the future. You're not just pricing for the business you have today. You're making sure your business can grow into what you want it to be in the years to come. Next week on What Works, you'll hear from a few small business owners about how their relationship to money has evolved and what that means for the future of their businesses. What Works is produced by Yellow House Media. Our production coordinator is Sean McMullen. This episode was edited by Marty Seafelt, and our production assistant is Kristen Runbeck. Find over 280 more episodes of What Works and sign up for our free weekly newsletter with resources, ideas, and inspiration for growing a business that works better at explorewhatworks.com. <laughs>